Good morning. Welcome to chapel. Looks like our worship team has some fans out there. Well, we just want to um, take a couple of minutes and introduce... Um, we have Jake Chastain, who will be leading us in worship um, with a wonderful group of students. Go ahead and give him a round. He is the uh, worship and college pastor here at Walston Church. And for any of you who didn't know, this church does meet on um, Sundays on, on campus. But Jake and his family have been here for a few years and um, working with college students. And uh, they have some exciting ministries and ways to get involved. And I also want to introduce JD, who will be our chapel speaker for this morning. I'm sure. Many of you know him well already. He also doesn't need much of an introduction, but we are looking forward to um, the message that he will bring for us this morning. So Jake is going to open us in prayer as we get started. Yeah. Father, we love you this morning, and we thank you for bringing us here. God, I pray that you would use our praise, our worship, our, our desire to be in your presence. Lord, fill this place with your Holy Spirit. Lord, speak through us and let us hear the words that you have for us this morning, words of life and words of truth, as we praise your name and we lift you up. It's in your holy name we pray today. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Oh, that was good. No repeat needed. Can we give a hand to Pastor Jake and the worship team this morning? Yeah, that was, uh, that was awesome. That was incredible. Well, we're going to kind of jump right into this. And uh, I know that usually when we have the reading of Scripture, we stand. Yes, you guys know that. But I also know that there are some of you who have come from traditions where you don't stand when the Scripture is read. And sometimes it feels like it's something that you have to do or you feel forced to do. And so I want to start with uh, just saying that we're going to do something a little different. We're going to sit during the reading of scripture. And this is a way to show that we recognize you, we see you, and we're going to honor you this morning. So let's welcome Javon Winfield as he comes and reads scripture for us. I'm not as tall as Pastor Jake. (laughs) Don't judge me, guys. All right, so today I'll be reading Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. You can read along if you like, or you can just listen. Imitating Christ's humility. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. By becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. Do everything without grumbling. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only 
in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. When you, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Thank you. This is God's word. Amen. So originally, uh, when I was approached and uh, told that I was going to be preaching throughout the semester, I thought, wow, this is great. I get four or five sermons that I get to kind of think about what I want to share with the community. This is so exciting. And so my original plan, um, after hearing that our, our, our verse for SGA was from Philippians 2, 1 and 2, was that I was going to preach from Philippians chapter 2 throughout the whole semester. Uh, but then Christina St. Pierre got up here last week and preached half of my sermon. Um, and I use the word preach because that's what she did. And uh, I had to kind of reconsider that. And so I thought, okay, well, well, maybe what if I do Philippians, maybe the book. But then I remembered, well, Dr. McGee actually spoke on Philippians 4 on the first week. And so I said, okay, Lord, what am I going to do? Like my ideas and thoughts are very, very low and yours are very, very high. And as I started praying and reflecting, the word unity came to mind. And so this semester, I'm going to be speaking to all of you about unity. Four to five sermons on that one word. Now, it's appropriate to start in Philippians 2 because it's our theme verse. And also because this chapter includes one of the most powerful and iconic passages in all of history. And so as we look at this passage, we're going to observe three things this morning about unity. The first thing that we're going to observe is the unnaturalness of unity. The second thing that we're going to see is the perspectives of unity. And lastly, we're going to observe the center of unity. And so first, the unnaturalness of unity. Now, when we start reading Paul's plea to the Philippians, at first it sounds eloquent, beautiful. Uh, The language is just lovely. It's just charming even. Uh, It sounds very Bible-y, something that good people would be drawn to. It might even seem regal and very, very true. But if we actually take a deeper look at what's happening here, Paul is actually making what I call a hard sell. Okay, now what do I mean by that? Well, there are certain things that are easy sells, right? Easy sells being that if I were to ask you to do something, most of you without any hesitation would say, oh, I would love to do that. For instance, if I said free ice cream today after chapel, how many of you guys are there? Okay, most of you. I thought you guys would like free ice cream more than that. That's surprising. All right, if I said snow cones and karate, breaking boards, David's like the most important person right now. He like loves all of this. What if I say that tomorrow we're going to cancel classes all day? Right. What if I said, uh, this is not true by the way, because it's on record. It needs to be official. But what if I said for the remainder of your time at ENC, you're going to have free tuition? Okay. Now, again, that's not going to happen to be clear. But those are examples of what we call easy sells. It's not very, very hard for you to be drawn to that idea because it's something that is appealing to you, something that says, yeah, I want that. But however, there are things in life and in this world that are considered hard sells. 
Now, these are things that, that you know, most people don't want to do, all right? And when you're trying to convince someone to do something on a hard sell, you have to hit as multiple points as you can. Multiple areas that are kind of like the lowest common denominators. Like, for instance, if I were going to say that next Wednesday we were going to do a, a cleaning day, okay? That we were going to beautify our campus, that we were going to go and clean. How many of you guys are like, yes, I want to do that? Okay, several. Not as many as free tuition. Now, on one hand, it's like, okay, cleaning, I don't know about that, right? But when you think about cleaning, when you think about picking up trash, when you think about cleaning the dorms, cleaning the dorm bathrooms, when we think about laying down some fertilizer, when we think about going around and cleaning our campus, not many people immediately say that is something that I want to do. It's something that I want to sacrifice my time doing. Now, it's a hard sell. And if I wanted to convince you, I could list certain things, right? I could say, all right, if you know how to walk around and pick things up and put into a bag, that's pretty easy. You should come do that. Or, you know what? If you know how to like wax on and wax off, like that's all like scrubbing technique, Mr. Miyagi, Karate Kid, pretty easy. If you know how to like, you know, lay some things and kind of spread them and water them, it's pretty easy. It's a hard sell. I'm going to try to appeal to as many common denominators as I can. Now, let me be clear about something. What facility does for us every single day is not easy. And you guys should all be incredibly grateful for the ways that they keep our campus beautiful because it is hard, right? And when we look at this passage at first, it's kind of like, oh, it seems like a beautiful passage. But what Paul is doing is he's listing these qualities, not because he knows that unity is easy, but because he knows that it's a hard sell. He knows that what he's asking people to do is something that they don't want to do naturally, Listen to these common denominators again. If you have any encouragement in Christ, if you have any comfort from his love, if you have any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in one accord and of one mind. You see, he even appeals to their love for him. He's saying, if you have any of these qualities... Some people could say, oh, I have encouragement, but I don't really know about God's love. Others would say, oh, I know God's love, but I'm not encouraged or I don't have participation. Some could say, I have affection and sympathy, but I don't feel the others. But, but he's saying, if you have any of those things, if you're someone who experiences that, then be of the same mind. And Paul is making a hard sell here because he understands that living in unity is not what you and I want to do naturally. Unity is completely unnatural. It goes against our very human nature. We see this in the very beginning of creation, right? There's a perfect world. And Adam and Eve are given very specific instructions on how to live in harmony and peace with each other and in peace with God. And uh, they, they, they break those instructions and they eat this fruit. And when God goes, where are you? They're hiding. God finds them and he's like, Adam, what happened? And he's like, I don't know. The woman made me do it. What, Adam? You were right there. Scripture says that Adam was with Eve when it happened. And Eve's like, I don't know. The serpent made me do it. Cain kills Abel in a chapter past that. And if you look at the history of humanity all throughout, we don't stand in unity. We don't like it. The other day, I was walking around campus, just kind of praying and preparing, thinking about the sermon. And I was drawn to a spider web where I saw this kind of epic battle taking place. And I saw two spiders fighting against each other on one web. Like they were just like, ha, ha, and like doing the webs and stuff, you know? And I was just, I was just sitting there just looking. And I'm sure that if you guys saw me, you would have been like, is JD kind of crazy? Because he's literally looking into space. Yes, I, Tyler, you agree. 
The other thing is, I actually continued a little bit further, and then I saw two squirrels fighting each other. Now, if you guys don't know, we have squirrels here on this campus, and this is kind of their campus, and we're just borrowing space. (laughs) But they started fighting. I have never seen squirrels fight here on campus. And I thought to myself, oh, how ironic, how interesting that even in nature, people don't live in peace. Creatures don't live in peace. You see, unity is unnatural. It doesn't come to us easily. It only comes if it's an act of intention. And that's why we see Paul making a hard sell here in the beginning of Philippians. So that's the unnaturalness of unity. Well, Paul continues in this passage and he shares how unity can be reached. And he shares the perspectives of unity. Or rather, maybe changes in perspectives that will make unity possible. Now, the first perspective that he shares has to do with worth. How we value each other. How we see each other. The second perspective has to do with our actions. And how they affect one another. Firstly, the perspective on worth, he, write, he writes in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Other translations say rivalry or empty pride. But Paul continues and says, in humility, value others above yourselves. I love the ESV translation here. They have it rendered as count others more significant than yourselves. Now, what is Paul saying here? Well, he's saying that pride is an obstruction to unity. But humility is the pathway to unity. And this isn't just kind of a a timid humility. This is a humility that says you are more valuable than me. Now, recent events in our country have brought the question of worth into their spotlight. The tragic death of Trayvon Martin. The cry of Eric Garner saying, I can't breathe in New York. The shooting of Michael Brown in Ferguson. All of these things have kind of brought this question of worth into our spotlight. And these events have led people to cry out and say that black lives matter. And it's not just a hashtag. It's a very serious concern because it's an expression of the pain and frustration of people who are living in a broken world. Now, as a response to this, some people, even those in the church, even those who are Christians, have said, now, wait a second. It's not just black lives that matter. It's all lives matter. Now, we could talk all day about the nature of these two statements And how much they divided people on Facebook or social media or even the news. And I'm not going to speak about the correctness or political incorrectness of either of these. But I'm going to only say that the fact that these responses exist show how broken our world is. And if we think that it only exists outside the world and not in the church, we are seriously mistaken. Because we live in a world, even here on ENC campus, we experience this. That's filled with prejudices and stereotypes. With racism and a lack of cultural competency competency where power dynamics do exist and the color of your skin affects the way that people see you and interact with you if we're honest this is real so people say black lives matter then others say all lives matter but you know what the gospel shares a more radical proposition than this the gospel completely pushes the envelope and it says that actually the life that matters is it's not mine or one group of people or everyone's the gospel says your life matters Your life is more valuable than my life. Your dreams, your hopes, your fears, your concerns, your time, your frustrations, your struggles, your pain, all of that, your life is more valuable than mine. It's a completely radical, unnatural view of human worth. Not saying that one group matters or that everyone matters, but what's most important is that my life doesn't matter. Yours does. 
Paul says that this is the first perspective we need to have if we want to live in unity. Now, the second perspective has to do with actions. Paul writes and says, let each of you look not only to his or her own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, what does this mean? This means that what you do in seeking your own interests in your own life affects the people that you're connected to. In 1624, John Donne wrote a poem where he said, no man is an island. What that means is that no man, woman, or child, no student, staff, faculty member here on ENC is an island. We're all interconnected. We're connected because we are a campus community. We are ENC. And for those of us who are are Christians and that has become our life, we're connected in a deeper way because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. A blood, a, a bond that is stronger because it connects us to the blood of Jesus. And in a family, what you do affects the people around you. All right, so let me give you an example. All right, I've been married for eight years now to my wife, Sarah. She's a wonderful woman. Wow, okay. Uh, and and she's, she's amazing. She's beautiful. She's smart. She loves the Lord. She's compassionate. You know, she really helps me be anchored. And I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for her. But when we got married, I very, very quickly noticed that we were two very, very different people. Okay, because she has a system. You know how there's some people who like to kind of be free and they could do whatever they want and throw everything around the house. But then some people like everything in the home has a home that has a home. Okay, so Sarah is the second type. And once we got married, she said, okay, JD, now that we're married, I don't know what you did before we got married and you were lost in your ways. But now I'm going to teach you a system that works. And so she said, you're going to have outside clothes, home clothes and bed clothes. Okay, now let me explain. This is what I do every day. I have certain clothes that I wear outside, okay? Now, when I come home and I'm in my outside clothes, I have to get out of my outside clothes into home clothes. Now, home clothes are kind of like T-shirts and shorts, you know? But I could be in the house and do stuff, but I can't wear my outside clothes in the house because now I'm in my home clothes because I'm at home. Now, let's say I want to go to bed. I'm really tired, really sleepy, and, you know, I kind of just want to go to sleep. Well, no, I can't just go to sleep because I have to get out of my home clothes and into my bed clothes. My bed clothes only stay in bed. And if you were to look at my pile of bed clothes and home clothes, they look exactly the same. (laughs) There's t-shirts and shorts. And so I said, honey, like, how am I supposed to know which is which? And she said, well, these are your bed clothes by my law and rule, and these are your home clothes. Now, this sounds crazy, okay? But every day, this is what I do. I get out of my outside clothes. I get into my home clothes. I chill at home. I do whatever I want. You know, if I'm going outside, like take out the trash. I get into some outside clothes. I go take out the trash. I come back in. I go into my home clothes. If I'm really tired, I can't just sleep. I have to shower before I go to bed. But I have to shower and then put on my bed clothes. And then I go to bed and I go to sleep. Now, if I want some water, see, that's, do I get out of the bed clothes? Do they get contaminated? It's tricky. It's really tricky. But let me tell you something. I love this woman. And being married, we are family. The way that she lives her life affects the way that I live, I live my life. The way that I live my wife, life affects the way that she lives her life. And after eight years of marriage, this is like now my life, okay? If I'm traveling, speaking somewhere, I'm doing something, I have bed clothes, home clothes, or hotel clothes, I guess. This is my system. It's become a part of who I am. Now, why do I do this? Why do I submit myself? Well, it's simple because I love her. You see, when you're living in community, your actions affect each other. What you say, what you do, how you choose to live your life, the decisions you make, they all have consequences, not just for yourself and for everyone around you. And you might think, 
JD, throwing your clothes on a pile and adhering to the system, it's not that important, but it's important to Sarah. I'm willing to do that system if it's important to her because I love her. And so the first perspective says that in terms of worth, your life matters, not mine. The second perspective says that in terms of actions, my actions and interests have consequence for you. What I do or don't do doesn't just affect me, but it affects you. And these are the perspectives of unity. This is how Paul says that we should live as a Christian community and and stand as a group of united people. Now, I want to propose a question to you. All right? And some of you guys might know this, but Kevin Hart does this thing. Real talk. Okay? Real talk. You guys just do it with me right now. Real talk. All right. The question is, is this how we live and function as a community here at ENC? Do we see other people as having more value than ourselves? Do we consider how our actions affect those around us? Are we united? And if we're getting real, I'm going to propose to you this morning that we're not united. We're actually horribly ununited. Look, we don't live in the ways that Paul talks about. Well, J.D., how do you know this? Because I've seen it and I've heard it. We have a lot of different traditions here. Some people stand, some people sit. But I hear complaints all the time about how one is better than the other or somehow one is less or I feel left out. We have different styles of worship, whether it's reading a scripture and how that's done or music that is played in chapel or different kinds of worship dance, different drama, different preaching. There's so many differences. And instead of actually being united and celebrating those differences, we critique each other, try to outdo each other. And we say, you know what? I'm not going to sing because that's not my style of worship. We have people who are disengaged in chapel. And if you think we don't see you, oh, we see you. They're here and up there and everywhere. But those people, some of us actually completely judge them and say, oh, how unholy. They don't sing. They don't engage. Their life is not right with the Lord. Not knowing that Jesus loves those people too. Exactly the same way. And they actually need to be here in chapel probably more than some of us. And then those are those who party on campus, live a lifestyle that is contradictory to what we've said that we were going to do as a community or even against our own values. They don't make the right choices. And what we say is, you know what? I can't talk to those people or sit with them or eat with them because somehow they will contaminate my faith. Well, I don't know about you, but when I read about Jesus, he's hanging out with those kinds of people all the time. You see, they need the love of Jesus. They need someone to show what it is like to live life responsibly, to make good choices. Now, look, I don't mean to cast any judgment, but only to say that there are some real problems here on our campus. And if we want to talk about unity, we can't talk about it without recognizing that these realities exist. And so what do we do? Well, how do we change? Well, this leads us to the last point, which is a center of unity. See, Paul writes these words in verses 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, how do we live in unity? By having Jesus as the center of our unity. You see, Jesus didn't consider equality something to be grasped. Something that he said I deserved or, or even, even have. He completely emptied himself. Made himself nothing. Becoming one of us. He came to us down to where we were. He was incarnational. Instead of saying, I want you to come to me. He said, I'll go to you. And he said that our lives mattered more than his own. He gave everything so that you and I could live. So that we could be united to God. To each other. And to the purpose and mission of saving this world. Now, if you're a non-Christian here at the school or you're just exploring Jesus, let me tell you right now, this isn't a religion that says you have to become better or live a better life before you feel love or feel belonging. Jesus died for you while you were still a sinner. And regardless of your lifestyle, he loves you and accepts you. And we do too. Help us walk with you in that. Feel the truth of God's love today. But for those who say that you're Christian, this grace should be the central theme should be the central motif in the way that we choose to live and love. You see, if you realize that love and grace is a part of your life, if it's transformed you at your core, the way that you see others is going to change. Why? Because the one place, the only place where everyone is equal is before the cross of Christ. What do I mean by that? This world is broken. Yes, there's prejudice and racism, all these different things. There's different power dynamics. We've already established that. But when we stand before the cross of Jesus Christ, we are all unworthy. Everyone. We're all broken. But even in that reality of being broken, Jesus says, I'm going to come down to you and love you. I'm going to give my life so you could live. And we see this truth in him. If you don't hear anything, I want you to hear this. There is no unity without sacrifice or suffering. You see, there is no unity without sacrifice or suffering. What's the picture that you see at the end of this passage? You see Jesus, he gives his life, all of that. But then it says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess. Because of his death on the cross, there is unity for all eternity. For those who choose to follow him. Now, what does that mean for us? I just want to ask you a question as we close. How are you going to suffer and die to yourself so that we can be united this year? Now, it's easy to die for the people you like and for your friends, but that's not what I'm talking about. Christ died for us when we were still enemies of him. There is no unity without sacrifice or suffering. Until you and I here at Eastern Nazarene College get to a point where we're willing to say that your life matters more than mine. Where we're willing to say that what I do affects you. It affects everyone. And you know what? I'm going to die to my pride. Die to my traditions. Die to my practices. And I'm going to try to engage with you in a new way. What could that look like? It might mean reaching out to those students who you think are so sinful and far from God. It could mean sitting next to someone at lunch who you see every day, every week, sitting by themselves with no friends. Feeling abandoned and alone. It could mean... Partnering with another musical group. Instead of trying to outcompete them and prove who's better, maybe you pray for them and bless them and send them gifts before they go on tour. It could mean that uh, 
doing some kind of joint event where we highlight our diversity and our unique differences and embrace them as part of God's blessings for this campus, not as something that we push away. The truth that I want you to hear today is that there is no unity without sacrifice or, or suffering. If we do not choose to live with that intention, we'll only talk about it, but nothing will change. I told you this was going to be a hard sell. As I walk around and talk with students, sit in classrooms, I don't know if you guys can sense it, but God is doing something new here on this campus. I really mean that. I know that it's kind of a transition time and we're like, what's happening? But look, God is still here at ENC. He's still working here at ENC. He's still working in your lives. He gives us the option to stand united or to just talk about it and live separately. And so I want to encourage you with one last final thought. Dr. Martin Luther King, he said this quote. It's one of my favorites. He said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So let's be a campus community where the love of Jesus is something that we choose. And it informs the way we love each other. The way that we die to ourselves so that others may live. Let's live in unity. Pray with me. Father in heaven, I thank you for your word. For times, God, when it is challenging, when it probes those inner struggles, the things that we care not to admit. But Lord, we stand in the light of your grace this morning. We stand in the light of the fact that Jesus, you came and you died for us. And your suffering and your sacrifice brought unity in a way that this world, Lord, that all of creation has never, ever seen before. And so, God, I pray that you would help us to choose you. God, I pray that you would help us to choose dying to ourselves so that others may live. God, I pray that you would unify our hearts. Help us to be united for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.